Welcome to Bonnets at Dawn, the podcast that explores the lives and works of women writers from the 18th, 19th, and 20th centuries. I'm your host, Lauren Burke. And I'm your host, Hannah Chapman. And this week, we are taking you with us to the Lake District for our next installment of Road Trip Diaries. That's right. In November last year, Lauren and I were on the same continent. Not sure if that's ever going (laughs) to happen again, but we were last year. And we were hitting up all of the literary hotspots. So by now you'll have heard our road trip diaries from Ruskin's house and from Shibden Hall and Holdsworth House and from our meeting of the Beatrix Potter Society. So today we're taking you to Wordsworth, Grassmere and Dove Cottage, which was the home of writing siblings Dorothy and William Wordsworth. Now, Wordsworth Grasmere was closed for a huge refurbishment and rebrand project that involved a total overhaul of the museum, visitor center, and the cottage itself. But we did get to go behind the scenes with the Literary Homes conference crew to hear Michael McGregor, the director of Wordsworth Grasmere, and Jeff Cowton, who is the curator and head of learning, tell us all about what's in store for the new museum. The master planning work did one exercise for us, what we needed was a vision for the future and a vision for how we were going to reimagine Wordsworth. And that vision really coalesced around uh, three themes. And those themes are people, poetry, and place. And this is all about, for the Wordsworth Trust, trying to distill uh, essentially our, our USP, you know, what makes us different to anywhere else uh, in the world. And it's about the people, it's about those amazing. Uh, creative individuals who gathered here, who created here in the early years of the 19th century. Uh, it's about the people who gathered around there as well. It's about the poetry that was written here and on also the crews, Dorothy Wills was grasping a journal as well. Um, great works of literature which were created in this space and which are still in their manuscript form here. And as far as we're aware, uh, that's a fairly uh, sort of unique situation. Um, and it's also about the place, and one of the things that, um, curiously, we felt we lost sight of a bit was the influence of place on Wordsworth's poetry. Um, the Wordsworth Museum, um, going back, uh, was essentially a long, dark corridor. Light was the enemy in the 1980s when museums were being built, and so we couldn't get a view of the landscape outside. And so very much we wanted to re-engage Wordsworth's poetry and Dorothy's journals with the landscape that inspired them. And it's all about telling stories. It's all about how well we tell stories. Um, and Jeff will come on and talk about that in terms of the, the interpretation of that. So, um, so one of the things that metaphor crystallized for us was actually, uh, the, in one sense, the disparate nature of our site, the fact that it is an open site, you can, you can enter it from various points, from the village here, from the car park here. You can stroll, as a walk there, you can stroll down a very popular route called Coffin Route, uh, which takes you right past Div Cottage. So you can stop and have your selfie. Uh, you can use, use the loo. Uh, and, and then you can stroll on without having to exchange uh, any money whatsoever. So we had to make it a compelling enough reason for people to stop, for people to, to actively engage with us really. And so we started to look at what we call threshold moments on the site. These points at which you 
you're signaled that you're actually entering uh, a place of inspiration, uh, a place of creativity, uh, a place of, of importance. I mean, I'm going to try hearing that. You realise the journey that we've been on to get to this point. If only manuscripts had been done with a P, the fourth P, would have people poetry in place, and we struggled parchment earlier on. So, as Michael said, it's the stories within the manuscripts that we wanted to also emphasise greatly. Um, both within our activity work, but also um, in the interpretation of the galleries as well. And uh, the, the great thing about the manuscripts, of course, is that um, they were, many of them, written in this very place. So in this very unassuming little box, for example, which I know it says power cables on one side, obviously to, to put off the would-be But each protected in their own. Yeah. Um, are, are just some of our great treasures. And it means that you can take this little box, this very unassuming little box too, um, and if we, if we open, I'll put it, it's all right there. So if we just open something like this. Um, a little, tiny little book, um, which says on the front diaries, which suggests to some people what that might be. Um, this is Dorothy Woods and Scratchman Journal. It's one of the four little notebooks that, that have survived from that time. Um, she, she didn't ever call them diaries, they were always journals. This is a label that's been stuck on after her deaths, and which reveals, if you like, one of the stories, because yes, it does include Dorothy's journals, but it also includes another literary treasure. And uh, if we look at the back of the notebook, you will see, we will see, that it was used before words of before Dorothy even started writing journals, because in the back of the notebook are some lines of poetry that were written in Germany just before they came to the cottage. I'm privileged to see this. So at the end of the person, there you go. So in the back of the notebook um, are lines that we now know are the earliest lines written for words of prelude. But the fact that it said diaries on the front put off the early prelude scholars and they didn't think to look in this notebook. So this was almost like a letter. So in this one little notebook, you've got, um, you've got the beginning of the prelude, you've got Dorothy's journal, and it's in this particular notebook that Dorothy writes about seeing the daffodils at Oldswater with William, which of course then, two years later, leads to the, the best love poem in the English language, we say. So, oh, actually, that was a survey, wasn't it, Michael? It's proven it was. Yeah. I'm not just making that up. Yeah. This is electron time. We've got to, we've got to fact check what we say. Um, but, but that, so there is a, there is a notebook. Now you could display it open. You could display it closed. Yeah, you could tell the story about the diaries. You could tell the story about the prelude. And what we were trying to do was to think of ways of interpreting these great things that went beyond having what we used to have, which was 30 manuscripts in the showcases, but to a general visitor, new to manuscripts, all look the same. Yeah. How on earth do we bring these stories alive? And I think I first talked about this at Houses conference at Newstead, which is maddening 2006 or something like that, that sense of there's the meaning beyond the words. And I'll put that 
back in there. Good reason. Did I show you Dorothy's writing? I don't know, did I? No. Some of you might want to see Dorothy's writing, yes. as well as Williams. Uh, but there, there is Dorothy Wordsworth's graphic journal. Um, and you see, there are fascinating stories because once we start telling visitors that they used a, a quill and homemade ink, they can then start looking for every time the pen dips. You know, the practicalities of writing. And how if you made your own ink, for example, that, it would turn out different colours at different times. So does that suggest that was written on two different occasions, two different settings? Does it fade? It, it, it doesn't fade, actually. This iron ball ink is really good. It's, it's good. I've got little bottles of it, if anybody would like a bottle to take <laughs> as a souvenir. We, we, we work with student groups, and we make ink, and we make paper, and, and we write with quills. And in the new gallery, that's one of the things we'll be doing, is invite people to write with quills, um, so they get a sense of the practicality. And, and we calculate that, that because it was the women of the household who did so much of the work for Wordsworth, that we carried, we worked out, for example, that Dorothy Word, not Mary, rather, who was writing out the prelude for William, wrote out 20,000 lines of prelude with a quill. Mm. Yeah. And it's beautiful to read. Mm. So that in itself is a story to tell. And so we, we, we're encouraging people um, to look, as you said, beyond the words. The words are really crucial, but the manuscripts have many stories beyond that. I really love how Michael described the landscape as a place of inspiration, a place of creativity and a place of importance. And I think for me, that's one of the things I get like a real kick out of when we go on these road trips, especially when we go to like Bronte County or mm -hmm. the Lake District, right? Um, and it doesn't, it's not just like a stunning landscape, like a view of the ocean, like everyone, I think everyone who goes to, uh, is it Lyme Regis? Yeah. Right? Yeah. Like you feel close to Jane Austen and Persuasion or like walking through the streets of Bath or like the dining room where Jane Austen wrote at Chawton or like rooms in the homes, you know, I think that um, those experiences and being in those places really do help you reconsider and recontextualize the life and works of an author so like the locale is just so important when you contextualize people and I think it's really great to hear that for Michael like place is such a big part of it it's not just a museum that happens to be in the Lake District it has to be in the Lake District that's yeah. like that's where it has to be because they they wrote because that's where they were Mm -hmm. They would, they'd have written something completely different if they were anywhere else. So bringing the landscape in is just so special. So Jeff's comment on how you display a notebook and what story you tell was also super interesting. So the story of the poem or the story of the, di the diary, like what page do you open on? Um, there are just like so many different ways for you to interpret a single line and or a single item. Like, what do you choose? Yeah. Um, so I kind of, I really love that dilemma because I feel like that's the first time that we've heard that sort of going into a literary home because I feel mm -hmm. like oftentimes the question is, how do you contextualize this person and the place? And they're really thinking about how do we talk you through the process that was really reflective in sort of everything that they were doing. Like we had a lot of discussions with the um, assistant curator, Poppy Garrett, about this as well. Yeah, so Poppy took us 
deep into the depths of Wordsworth Grasmere, into the archives. I was living my national treasure dreams. Actually, oh, yeah. there were points where I felt like I was on a submarine. <laughs> because <laughs> there's like these bigger heavy doors. There's so much like mm-hmm. metal. Everything is beige. And I guess just looks like an archive. But I felt like it was the end of the world. All of the I precious never books and figure art. out where we were, <laughs> you know? Underground, I think. It was like yeah. a, a, a literary home bunker. It was insane. Mm-hmm. That, that's what's going on down here. But this is kind of one of our quieter rooms, mm-hmm. so it might be best for recording. I can bring my kill table in. Oh my god, wow, Whoa, look at all these look like these little portraits. paintings and yeah. things. Can Don't I take a picture sit on of that chair. Yeah. Well, for recording purposes, we've walked into there's these stack things which are great metal bookshelves with <laughs> winders on them. Yeah, I think they never move. No, I've never. Yeah. Yeah, I've never done it. But then in the corner, there's like the art version. So it's like a, I'm gonna call it chicken wire, but that is not it. With some paintings hang on it, and they're all in like gold gilt frames, and they're all like beautiful portraits and landscapes and they're all just like in a basement hanging in you know yeah this is good once everything is sort of done are there plans for these portraits and um a lot of them came from the museum so they've been on display for 37 years thereabouts Mm -hmm. so along the bottom we have Coleridge, Salvi, many different Malvi Southie's over there. Malvi Southie. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Which My one's Malvi Southie? Malvi Southie that wrote the um, letter to Charlotte Bronte telling oh, her that Lurch was right. Yeah. Okay. We need to talk about that. All right. We can talk about it. It's not fair. Southie gets a rough deal. That letter was taken out of context. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. He is not a villain. Let's like let's just remind <laughs> ourselves of what he did for women and for women's education and women's access to books. He's a hero. You know All what, right. Poppy? It doesn't hurt that he looks pretty fit in that portrait, does it? And he's like Mr. Darcy. Like, Is he? There's another one of him somewhere. Oh, it's on the other shelves. Maybe, yeah, he's, maybe he's gonna get handsome. rechristened sexy Southie. <laughs> no, I don't know. Yeah. Let's not make that. All right, rebranding Let's make that Southie. Rebrand it, yeah, okay. <laughs> and there, of course. Oh, of course. Picture. Wow. Got a lot, a lot of portraits. Yeah, these are, these are some good things going on down here. Oh, look at this little Robert Southey cabinet. Oh, Southey's just everywhere over yeah. here. So um, I have spent a lot of time looking at this cabinet because it's one of my favorite things in the collection. Uh, this is believed to be the Southey cabinet of curiosities. Ooh. So inside there are hundreds and hundreds of tiny, tiny items. And there's a mummified frog. There is a ball of camel phlegm. There is feathers. Phlegm, like actual phlegm. Uh, there's Curiosities. feathers from exotic birds, there's claws, there's talons, there's bangles, like, f- collected from Edith Southey, Southey's daughter's husband's father-in-law's travels. Oh. So. So we clearly don't know anything about Robert Southey. <laughs> no. This one is, like, please I did do not, not know take this as something you should know. I feel like I should, though. A lot of the stuff in there was collected after Southey's death, so okay. the cabinet belonged to him, um, or at least has his name on it, but he wasn't as far as we know, like a collector. Okay. This seems to have come through Edith's family and her connections. But it's yeah. a really, it's an amazing piece. I've done a it's video a, for our YouTube channel on some of the things inside it, because it's, it's a joy. There's is so the camel phlegm in the video? No, it's not. What does that look, what does it look like? Is? Can you describe what the camel <laughs> phlegm looks like? 
I think it's just like a hardened ball. Oh. This is my very oh, fancy desk. Um, okay. Let's see what we can Ooh, see. Oh, yeah. Oh, what? She's pulling out curator clothes, guys. It's got very serious. We don't really use white gloves anymore. We should really use the nitrile ones, mm -hmm. but I have no nitrile ones. So the cotton ones will have to do. But the chest itself is incredible. You can see the carvings on it are kind of from different cultures, different mythologies. Um, and one of his daughters is named here, not Edith, Catherine. Don't know why Catherine mm. gets a mention and no one else does, because Sadie had like eight kids. Oh, he had a lot that's of kids. got a sting, right? He was a real family man. This is another mm. reason why I just love him so much. He was a father who loved being a father, and he did the majority of the childcare for him and Coleridge's families, because they lived together. And Coleridge was not there. He was off at Dove Cottage or in London, or just being a generally irresponsible, terrible, terrible parent. And Sadie's wife had awful mental health problems, mm -hmm. which meant she was basically a recluse for, like most of their marriage oh, after gosh. the loss of some of their kids. So Sadi oh. was like he took great joy in being a father and taking the kids on picnics and up mountains and oh, it's just really great. And they had those cats as well. You're really rehabilitating Sadi I know I for think the show. Yeah. So yeah, I think he'd be oh, very happy. You've done a service. <laughs> yeah. Well that is all I came here to do. <laughs> <laughs> I just want him to not be vilified and remembered as the man who hated Charlotte Bronte because that's also not true. <laughs> Oh, this is kind of some of the stuff oh, you get in the cabinet, I'm curious. Wow. There's also Napoleon's wallpaper, which is really, really exciting. Um, you can see a bunch of curiosities. Shells, talons, um, bits of glass or some, some brace kind of or anklets or bracelets. Yeah, like bangles, beaded mm -hmm. bangles. Um, there's like a tiny stone in there. Got some nuts or like acorns, tree specimens in there. And then paper, there's a little tiny lock of Herbert Salvi's hair mm -hmm. from when really? he was a toddler, which is really Aww. cute. Yes, do any DNA testing on that? We haven't, but there's a note on it, so we, we just okay. take it at its worth. Just, yeah. <laughs> okay, give us the 101, because I think you said something really great in the car, because you were like, they had to want to get away to yeah, come up did here. Cause... Did, were they born here? Are they, were they mm. from here? The Wordsworths were born in Cockermel, so that's just the other side of the Lake District from where we are now. Okay. Right. okay. But yeah, rural was always a big pull for them. Mm -hmm. they, they wanted to live in nature. It was very central to what Wordsworth was kind of writing about and what he believed about nature could, could do for man and, mm -hmm. you know, the growth of the mind and morality and consciousness. So nature was a plus for him. And Dorothy Yeah. Now, what's their story? What's the deal with these guys? Like, <laughs> when were they born? Just in context with, like, so other writers, so we can just sort of place sure. them on our scale. Well, Jane Austen is a really good benchmark, mm -hmm. or kind of like right. barometer, I guess. She but... is. Yeah, she really, <laughs> yeah. she really is. So she and Dorothy are exact contemporaries, pretty much. Uh, okay. Dorothy Wordsworth is okay. born in 1771, Jane mm -hmm. is born in 1775. Jane, of course, dies very young, but Dorothy lives until 1855. So okay. Wordsworth and Dorothy are 1770s to 1850s. Okay, nice. All right. They live long, long lives. They very, do. Very long lives. That's actually quite rare for us. I think most of our authors yeah. die fairly young. But Wordsworth yeah. sees like he, he sees war. He sees revolution. He sees mm. a lot of social change, a lot of industrial change. He sees like, I mean, people like the Brontes would have been published during mm. Wordsworth's lifetime. Mm -hmm. Just, um, so a lot of 
a lot of developments are happening as he's alive in his 80 yeah. years. Yeah. Yeah. And they're together, like, their whole lives? Sort of. A lot yeah. of their lives they do spend together. Um, Wordsworth and Dorothy are born in Cockermouth, but they lose their parents very young. Mm-hmm. So Dorothy's just six when their mother dies, and at that point she is separated off from the rest of the family. She goes to live with relations up in Yorkshire as, like, a professional poor relation. Oh, yeah. we love... It's, it's we really actually sad. we love a poor relation. I know she she has a really hard time. Um, she's not invited home ever. Bear in mind she's just a little girl of six. Mm. She's really really young really? to be away from her brothers who she's so close with, and from her father as well. And um, yeah, she says in the letter, looking back at this time in her life, that she doesn't get why she was never asked home for Christmas. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Why why not? Yeah. Um, but I think it's just that society thought that young women should not be brought up in a house of men. Which fair, I guess. Mm-hmm. Um, but she she misses them terribly, and this this separation leaves a lasting impact, and it really forms who Dorothy is in later life. Mm-hmm. Um, she's desperately like in search of a home with William, yeah. and that is everything she ever wants. And this is probably because she didn't get it when she was just a child. Yeah. So they are they are born in Cockermouth. Um, they then lose their father. And William goes to boarding school. He then goes to Cambridge. Uh, he then spends some time in France as a young man um, while the revolution is kind of yeah, it's peaking. Just a, yeah, yeah. Too. Okay. He has an affair over there with a French mistress, and it results in a child. Um, he then comes back to England, and um, he and Dorothy are reunited in the mid seventeen nineties, briefly when they meet at Keswick, mm-hmm. um, and from that point. Wordsworth is nursing a childhood school friend, um, Raisley Calvert, who uh, has TB, and okay. he kind of like sets Wordsworth up with a legacy because Raisley dies, and then Wordsworth like is able to be a poet, live with Dorothy, and they are together. That's how he like sort of gets money, I guess. That's always our thing. Is like how yeah. are they financially supporting themselves while they're while they're writing? Yeah, it's really tough, um, and they are not well off. Yeah. And Wordsworth, in his lifetime, he doesn't really make a living from his poetry. He really? Just doesn't, yeah. He has to take a second job. Okay. Um, in 1813, he becomes a stamp collector for Westmoreland, like a tax collector. Right. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think um, I was like, you get paid for collecting stamps. Sort of. Yeah, so he, he does that. But in the in the early days, um, because of Rachel Calvert's gift, um, Wordsworth, can he has like nine hundred pounds, pretty much to okay to live and to write, and a few yeah they get money from their father's estate mm-hmm. as well when they're living at Dove Cottage, which is a really long fought battle, and mm-hmm. because um, their father works for the local landowner Lord Lowther, mm-hmm. who is not a good man. He is really withholds wages. He doesn't pay his staff. Right. So mm-hmm. the words with children were owed a lot of money. And it's a legal battle that lasts years and years, and eventually they, they do get it, and it's not much, but it helps helps them live. Mm-hmm. So, When did yeah. they move up here? They move up here in 1799. So they've been to Germany just before. Okay. Uh, they spend a winter in Goslar, and it's like the coldest winter on record, and that's where Wordsworth begins what will become the prelude. He writes about ice skating as a boy on the lakes. Um, and yeah, so that. And he also writes the Lucy poems there as well. Uh, we've got an amazing letter that Dorothy has transcribed, and William, I think, also features on it a little bit. But it's it's got these 
Lucy poems, it's got bits of the prelude, it's also mm. got accounts of their time in Goslar. It's a double-sided letter and it's absolutely crammed with writing on all in all directions. Ah. It's, yeah, it's, it's amazing. It's seen some things, that letter. Now, we only saw it from afar, but it looked like her handwriting was... Like, can you describe what her ha- handwriting looks like? Oh, it's, yeah. Um, it's definitely got energy. Yeah. It's not, like, if you're imagining a very practised, very mm-hmm. neat hand, that's not Dorothy at all. Um, she does go to school, like, when she's sent away. Okay. She goes to boarding school for a really short amount of time, and then is, like, day-schooled, I guess. Um, but she probably wouldn't have been taught, like penmanship to the same extent like it's not ingrained in her um so she kind of just writes with with emotion it's really messy a lot of the time you can tell what mood she's in uh, whether she's outdoors or not by the way her hand moves and the way her words form on the page um yeah she's definitely a very heartfelt writer Mm -hmm. uh francis benny's mastectomy letter you just there's like five different handwritings in there and it's Mm -hmm. all you know it's all her and like the just the thickness and like obviously the amount of pressure she's able to put on and it's slanting it's they're not neat lines like it's just it's really going up and down and it's a really interesting letter because she was in a lot of pain when she was writing it as well so you can just see that like on the page so Mm -hmm. yeah yeah they're really moving those kinds of letters aren't they dorothy gets very sick in later life like she spends a lot of the last 20 years of her life bed bound um, they think it's possibly some sort of early onset dementia. Okay. But she really does. She's really, really ill. She can't go outside. She can't walk. Um, she's not very lucid for a lot of the time. Mm-hmm. And we have her late journals here that she tries to keep at Rydal Mount. And the very last entry in one of them is very similar to what you're yeah. describing. Um, mm-hmm. She's written dismal doom over and over again. And she can barely hold a pen at this point, And you can tell yeah. just from like how faint the words are. And like they're just... Like they're dropping off the page. I think she writes horizontally, like in an mm-hmm. empty page. It's it's really sad. Um, so before that happened, what mm. like what's her output like? With Dorothy, she she never seeks to publish. She is an immensely talented writer, um, but this is only really for the benefit of a very close circle of family and friends. So she keeps her Grassmere journals, and mm. um, while they live at Dove Cottage, and there was. Initially five notebooks, but only four survived. There's, there is a missing right. Grassmere journal. We, we've never seen it, we don't, we don't know. But the year 1801 is missing. Um, it's not a particularly crucial year, I can't think why. Mm-hmm. Unless there's something that we don't know. Some which sort of must be. <laughs> some information that was possibly destroyed. Possibly destroyed, yeah. yeah. Maybe something really big happened in 1801 and we'll just never know. Mm-hmm. But she does, she chronicles the year 1800 to 1803. Um, okay. 1803 being... Um, 1802 Wordsworth marries of course and and brings Mary into the household so things change quite a lot and 1803 is the year that the Wordsworth children start to be born so a lot of domestic shift Mm. happening there so maybe she was just too busy to keep writing Uh, so she keeps her grasping journals there was also an Alfoxen journal but it's a similar situation in that we only have a brief transcript the actual manuscript doesn't survive Mm. Uh, the late journals the Rydal journals she tried to keep in in much later life and she does also dabble in travel writing Mm -hmm. Um, probably her most successful um works were were travel pieces she does an account of climbing scaffold pike she's one of the first known women on record to have climbed the mountain and written a record of it because from this mountain scaffold scaffold yeah Mm. remarkable truly remarkable and dorothy writes a letter from the summit Mm -hmm. um and 
also records an account of, of the ascent. And then this appears in Wordsworth's Guide to the Lakes anonymously, and a lot of people in the years that follow think Wordsworth climbed Scarfell, um, and that it's his account, because it's written yeah, yeah. in the first person. But it's actually Dorothy, and all of those years of people following in Wordsworth's footsteps were not, in, de- in fact, following in Wordsworth's footsteps. <laughs> Interesting. Do you yeah. find... With Dorothy, I feel like there's almost it's almost like she's a shadow writer. Yeah, no, I totally get that. Him. <laughs> she yeah. definitely helps a lot and she's so much more involved than anyone appreciates really, mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. just generally. Um inspiration she provides, like she helps with the drafting, the copying, the transcribing. Because Wordsworth wasn't he wasn't a fan of physically writing. Um he didn't like desks. He has bad handwriting, he admits, and he also had really bad problems with his eyes that left him in fear of going blind. So he preferred to pace as he's composing and dictate, and then Dorothy would transcribe for him. So she was really instrumental there Mm -hmm. in the physical getting the poems down on paper. Um, Is there a back and forth between the two of them too? Is there like a collaboration in like... Because I feel like we there's a really great article I want to talk about next season on the show mm-hmm. about the women who do the or who have done all the transcribing mm-hmm. for these male authors and the assumption is that they were just they're just transcribing there's no yeah. like there's no collaboration there's no you know give and take there's no hmm, mm-hmm. I don't know if that is quite it or even the way that you you know when you're composing poetry especially yeah. or like the sentence structure and I mean I'm like does she get the credit that she deserves for that um it's hard to say I think there must have been some back and forth because Wordsworth put so much value on Dorothy as like a collaborator and someone he looked to for genuine guidance with his his work Mm -hmm. um we've mentioned the Grassman journals briefly but Dorothy keeps these journals and kind of just like records day-to-day events, walks, meetings, conversations, and then kind of Wordsworth would read the journals and draw inspiration directly from what she's put. So the Daffodil Poem is a, is a good case in point. It's Wordsworth's most famous work, probably. Um, but Dorothy had written a diary entry of that day and the sighting of the daffodils at the time it happened. Wordsworth's poem was penned two years later. And if you look at like, the structure, the mm. choice of words. He's lifted pieces directly from Dorothy's diary. Whether or not she's she's credited, well, she's definitely not credited in the poem, but um, like whether Wordsworth acknowledges to her, like how gives her that due acknowledgement, I don't know. Mm-hmm. Um, it's not recorded anywhere, but yeah. we can see just from how he like references her in his poems, calls right. her Emmeline and writes about his sister, and you know he, he does do these great poetic tributes to her and the way he just talks about her in general in in the letters in correspondence um that he really did value her and i think she probably felt it i don't think she would have contributed so much had she not felt valued and she didn't want to be a writer yeah she she is quite sniffy about the the lady lady writers so some of the best are indeed (laughs) what is published of hers like what can we read what can you read well the grassmere journals have been um transcribed edited, published. Mm-hmm. Um, that was by our former president, actually, Pamela Woof. She She's mm-hmm. done the Oxford Companion to the journals. And they're just, they're a joy. Mm-hmm. I mean, everyone who can and wants to should read the journals because 
Um, Dorothy's really funny. She's kind of like mm. Jane Austen. There's a lot of similarities, not only in their lives and like their circumstances, but just in the way they observe mm. and the kind of little remarks they make about people. Um, yeah, so so that they they shine. Um, you can read her Scarfell account in Wordsworth's Guide to the Lakes mm-hmm. um, if you want a bit more of her travel writing side. But there's really not a lot of Dorothy. I think there are a few published poems, um, which are also really good, but it would only have been recently that they were attributed to her. She never published them during her lifetime or anything like that. It, yeah, it's just so hard when you think that, like, writers or like literary writers I can't I'm sure someone has said this weekend like she doesn't she doesn't count as like a woman writer because of the oh we're talking about Anne Lister yeah yeah, yeah. you know like Anne Lister oh I'm not a lit home Mm, because Anne Lister was never published and actually that's kind of the domain of women writers is you can't only count the people that were published because you're not only counting the people that were published, you're counting the people that were politically acceptable and published. Right. The people yeah. whose books have survived, because there would have been books that are published that are lost to time because the one print run, you know, stuff yeah. like yeah. that. And then that's not including the people whose books were bought and never printed, the people who never submitted their manuscripts, the yeah. people that wrote half of a novel or novellas, the people that mm-hmm. only wrote diaries and the people that only wrote, like, only... And it's just like it's really dismissive yeah. of in you just lose, yeah. you know, most like women because it mm-hmm. wasn't accessible to them. So yeah. like, yeah, she might not have wanted to be a novelist, but mm-hmm. she was a writer because she was doing it. In yeah. the fact that her, you know, even when she was so ill, she's writing to the end. Like, no, bless yeah. her. That's significant. Is there an entry that's like a favorite of yours or like an anecdote or something that you turn to quite often? Um, oh yeah, so many in the journals because they are just, they're just, they're life. It's life as it was lived in the early 1800s and it's so vivid and so like you can just recognize like the things that happen to people as things that we would like joke about today. Mm-hmm. For instance, there's um, one, one entry where Coleridge has come to visit and he's walked all the way over to Duck Cottage. I imagine he was coming from Keswick. Um, but he's met a cow on the road over. And he arrives at Duck Cottage, white as a sheet, all dishevelled, brandishing this massive branch that he's used to try and fend off a cow on the path. <laughs> and they're all just really scared of cows, like Dorothy too. There's, there's, really? Yeah. Cows? Cows. I think maybe they were bigger back then. I mean, um, cows can be scary. Not like... That's scary. <laughs> yeah, like, yeah, I mean, I mean like, not like, like a face. Yeah, like, like a tr- using a tree as a weapon to get yeah, yeah, yeah. cow. And there's, yeah, Dorothy also records um, she and William took a different route through a field once or something because every time she moved, the cow stopped chewing and she didn't want to. <laughs> I mean, they are unsettling. The, the walking would be quite aggressive here. Oh, it's so aggressive. I mean... They walked so far. Like, I think it was De Quincey that said that he estimates that Wordsworth walked about 80,000 miles in his lifetime. Good lord. A lot of walking. And up these hills, and like, and yeah. this is... The yeah. landscape is not... <laughs> it's, it's not, not like Chicago, just flat. <laughs> no, God, no. Um, they walked for letters pretty much every day, sometimes yeah. twice a day. Mm-hmm. And the nearest... And how far was that? Rydal. They sometimes go to Rydal for letters, which is about... Two miles, I think, one way. There's not a lot else to do, though, right? No, and it was so important to them for well-being. Like, Dorothy just takes so much joy from being outside. She Mm -hmm. writes about 
like the shapes of different leaves and the colours of flowers and the way that the sun looks on the hills and mm-hmm. she just she loves it yeah it really is beneficial to her well-being and one of my favorite letters of hers actually um talks i think it's sent to her aunt who writes to her saying that it's unseemly or improper for a young woman to be unchaperoned and roaming about the country walking as much as she does mm. and dorothy kind of replies to say well thanks for your concern but i'm just i don't care keep i'm gonna keep going yeah. um so yeah she she just she loves it So then Poppy took us into another secret room and pulled down all sorts of boxes. And in those boxes were smaller boxes. And in those boxes were the journals. And in those journals was Dorothy Wordsworth. I thought it was really cool because you do like you just see Dorothy. Like Mm -hmm. you see her handwriting and the way it changed depending on her mood and on her health. And I think there was just so much personality just conveyed in the way she was writing and like the handwriting and like the pressure of the pen and the ink that was being used before you even get to what the words were, which is really handy because also her handwriting is insane and you can't read it anyway. So it's just, just have a look at it and be like, oh, she looks happy today. (laughs) (laughs) Right. It's a good day today. Also the way that, um, there were like little notes or receipts or grocery lists, mm-hmm. you know, just like in between everything. It felt very present. Yeah. It just, yeah, I know. Those journals are super special. It's so cute. It's really small, isn't it? They're very pocket sized. So you can imagine that she could have just taken this yeah. out and about with her. And this is her handwriting. Oh. So it's not the neatest. It is expressive. It's just full though, isn't it? Like the book is just from top to bottom. Yep, definitely. She makes use of every available space. Quite a lot of them like will have erasures as well. Like it's not uncommon to find pages cut out. Okay, yeah, Mm -hmm. yeah. You'll get suddenly like... How do you transcribe it? Uh, You get an eye for Dorothy. Okay. It's amazing how how distinctive her writing starts to look after a while. Like Mm -hmm. You can pick it out from Mary's easily, um, from William's. Can you read us a line? Yeah. So we've got Monday. Looks like February, maybe, 7th. Mm Mm-hmm. We... Something by candlelight. Showing... Something morning after a down night. Yeah, it is, yeah. It's, difficult. it's difficult. It's very difficult. I, mean, I can I see like the word novels. Fine morning, <laughs> a thin frost fog hmm. atop the hills, which soon disappeared. Hmm. So, yeah, you quite often That's... get a little weather update. Oh, it's December. Yeah. <laughs> December. <laughs> William, Mary, and I set off on foot to Keswick. Ah. We carried some cold mutton in our pockets. Yeah, oh. that's what I usually have in my pocket as well. Me too. Like, yeah, never get Keswick. Never. Case. I don't like putting the hot mutton in there, mm. but the cold stuff. Is <laughs> the cold nice. stuff is fine. fine yeah. uh, this was the one I wanted. To, I think I wanted to get out. Um, so yeah, these are very different. They're a yeah. lot less neat. Um, there are. So these are the later life? Yeah, these yeah. are her later bridal, bridal mount journals. This one is the one that has loads of cuttings in the middle. 
Oh wow, well, yeah, a lot, that's a, a lot, lot of pages yeah, yeah. just been got rid of, which is uh, sad. That is really sad. And then we've got more accounts received from Sarah oh. Hutchinson. And the, the notebooks are a little bit more rusty, a little bit more handmade. Oh my goodness. So that's a poem there. I think that's thoughts on my sickbed, possibly. So that's, that's some of Dorothy's. And then we've got in here another journal entry as well. Um, wow. Some verse, which isn't common particularly. So it's just very... Lots of mixing things up. I love those little handmade... I the know. little handmade journals, those are amazing. It's so, you know, for the people listening and not stood here seeing them, <laughs> it's just like p- folded pieces of paper and there's like stains and ink drops and, mm-hmm. you know, all different, like the writing's going in all different kinds of directions and there's different styles of handwriting, and there's stamps and it's obviously just like whatever paper they could yeah. kind of get a hold of because all of the pieces are different sizes and and they made their own ink, right? That was one. Yes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. yeah, they did. They made it out of oak galls and like uh, gum arabic and iron sulfate or something like that, mm-hmm. I think. So yeah, they, they did make their own ink. Uh, they were very good at just kind of like having what they needed. Uh, and they it w- looks so nice as well, because obviously the shade of the ink is different. Yeah. So you can just see. Yeah, and like they would, they would do their own pens, sharpen their own pens, make mm-hmm. their own quills. They were very self-sufficient. I guess you have to be living out in the middle of nowhere. Yeah. yeah. So Poppy's just like sorting through all of these identical yeah. blue paper wrappers <laughs> with little white labels on, which all live in identical little brown boxes yeah. <laughs> on yeah. shelves, just all stacked up and everything is just squirreled away. It's so yeah, we have a system. Mm-hmm. Oh, this looks like Dorothy's getting sicker. You can tell mm. in, in the way the, the writing yeah, looks. Yeah, the handwriting's like larger, it's loose, there's less, uh, more space between the lines. Mm-hmm. It yeah. feels like there's less like power behind it with yeah. the writing, like it's a softer. But look, she's writing in French. Oh uh, yeah, cheval, horse, that's a horse. Yeah. And a horse, <laughs> that's what that says. We can see miserable in there. And a miserable horse. And then she seems to switch back into English, which is interesting. Mm-hmm. And more empty space as well. Yeah, that's... Like empty pages, yeah. like the ends of pages aren't. And then we're back to business as usual with some accounts. Um, so, yeah, she's not, not doing very well at this period in her life. Oh yeah. wow, that hand! I, I'm just really impressed by whoever transcribed these. No one's worked on the later journals. I think okay. there are a couple of these... people currently undertaking the process, mm. but there is not um, a transcription. Oh my gosh! Of these, complete as yet. Like you really need to go sort of Le- letter by letter, letter by letter, letter like yeah. not even word by word. No, it's truly like people who who do this um, and publish their transcriptions. It's an mm. amazing job and something to be very proud of. So she's very human, is mm-hmm. like, I think that's kind of why we warmed her so much. Like she wasn't, she wasn't perfect. She definitely has yeah. flaws. Uh, there's like accounts of her 
um, in the early days, there was she went out walking and she got soaked, absolutely soaked. So she just goes to Keswick and puts on Mrs. Coleridge's clothes and doesn't think twice about it. <laughs> no, that's fine. Yeah, <laughs> um, yeah she, she's definitely like... But she does strive to be better. Like She'll have mm-hmm. those moments in the journals where she'll meet someone and realise that... Like, she'll make a snap judgment, mm-hmm. and then she'll be like, oh, actually, that's probably not very kind, and they probably don't have all the privileges that I do, so she checks herself, and then she'll, she'll move on. Which we can all We, we can, can all, all do. Yeah. 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 We can all be more Dorothy. Yeah. What was her relationship with Mary like? Um, good, by all accounts. Um, Dorothy and Mary were childhood friends. Okay. So she, Mary, and Wordsworth had all gone to Dame School together, mm-hmm. which is kind of like a middle class, um, a school for middle class children where you just go and be taught by a matron of the, mm-hmm. of the town. Mm-hmm. Um, so they all knew each other. Um, and Mary, it seems, was just very easygoing, like very, very placid. Mm-hmm. Um, De Quincey kind of describes her as this paragon of womanhood, like gentle. Mm-hmm. All she ever says is, bless you. Um, mm-hmm. She's just very easygoing, very kind. Whereas Dorothy is a bit of a firecracker, as we know, yeah. she has opinions, mm-hmm. as she should. Um, she feels very strongly about this home that she's created for William. She's very intelligent and has a lot to contribute creatively. Mm. Um, so she does kind of like, she, she wouldn't be an easy person to live with, right. I wouldn't imagine, just because she's so like, feels very strongly about this bond with William. Mm-hmm. And like on William and Mary's honeymoon, Dorothy uh, goes with them and she sits between them in the carriage on the way there, which is, is amazing. great. So we've been to a lot of literary homes and I'm actually still struck by how unique Wordsworth Grasmere is. Like not only the history of all of those poets in one place and like just the beauty of the landscape but I just feel like um, they're doing a really good job of sort of like showing you how, you know, the landscape is ingrained into the literature. Um, They're being really thoughtful with his work. Yeah. And something that came up, I think a number of times uh, was that daffodil. So the the daffodil poem, (laughs) which is called- The infamous daffodil poem. I wandered lonely as a cloud. Right. And about the fact that it's um, based on uh, one of Dorothy's journal entries. Mm-hmm. So you've got the journal entry that came first and then you've got the poem. So I don't know. I, I thought it would be fun for us to like have a read of Dorothy's journal entry and then have a read of the poem. And just because that's the thing that comes up. And I think I will say I've looked at the website again and like Wordsworth Grassmere is definitely like William focused. Yeah, absolutely. But she came up a lot. So I just thought Mm -hmm. it's Bonnets at Dawn. Let's have a look at the journal entry that inspired the famous poem. Yes, that sounds good to me. Yeah. Little verses, little smackdown. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, we'll give Austin versus Bronte a rest. We'll have a sibling smackdown. It's going to be D versus W head to head. All right. That sounds good. So first up, we have Dorothy's journal entry. This is an account of a walk she took on April 15th, 1802, along the shores of Ullswater. Okay. And she says, and I'm not going to do a very good Dorothy (laughs) impression. I apologize. Um, 
And at last, under the boughs of trees, we saw that there was a long belt of daffodils along the shore, about the breadth of a country turnpike road. I never saw daffodils so beautiful. They grew among the mossy stones, and about them, some rested their heads upon these stones, on a pillow for weariness, and rest tossed, and reeled, and danced, and seemed as if they verily laughed with the wind that blew upon them over the lake. They looked so gay, ever glancing, ever changing. This wind blew directly over the lake to them. There was here, and there a little knot, and a few stragglers, a few yards higher up, but they were so few as not to disturb. Uh, so I think that's so beautiful. Yeah, it has actually a real rhythm that I kind of like, as I was reading, I was like, oh, because she's using all these ampersands mm-hmm. and just there's um, I really just like, the way that she's writing. It has like a rhythm to it. I really like some rested their heads upon these stones as on a pillow for weariness and the rest tossed and reeled and danced and seemed as if they very yeah. laughed with the wind that blew upon them over the lake. That's beautiful. It's really lovely. That's so, yeah. Okay, that's so a, that's, she's really bringing it with a journal entry. <laughs> yeah, dear diary. <laughs> Shit. So this is William's poem. So this is written uh, in 1804. So two years later. Um, sing along if you know the words. <laughs> <laughs> I wandered lonely as a cloud that floats on high over vales and hills. When all at once I saw a crowd, a host of golden daffodils, beside the lake, beneath the trees, fluttering and dancing in the breeze. Continuous as the stars that shine and twinkle on the Milky Way, they stretched in never-ending line along the margin of a bay. Ten thousand saw I at a glance, tossing their heads in sprightly dance. The waves beside them danced, but they outdid the sparkle waves and glee. A poet could not but be gay in such a jocund company. I gazed and gazed, but little thought what wealth the show to me had brought. For oft, when on my couch I lie, in vacant or in pensive mood, they flash upon that inward eye, which is the bliss of solitude. And then my heart with pleasure fills and dances with the daffodils. So what I've just read also, I will say, is actually a revised version of the poem from 1815. Mm -hmm. So he wrote it in 1804 and then 11 years later, he changes a few of the phrases. So um, the golden daffodils in the first stanza were originally dancing daffodils. Okay. And also the word jocund. I don't know if I've said that correctly. Mm-hmm. That was laughing. And okay. I've got to say, William Wordsworth, thanks for punking me with the word jocund. You could have left <laughs> laughing in there. I know what that means. He just was trying to like, just just bring it up a little bit, elevate it. But I yeah, just I don't know. Yeah. Like, did it work? Like, do you? What do you think? It's interesting thinking about this writing process because um, I feel like so I've written with many writing partners before, and I feel like I'm very much the Dorothy. Like I'm all about sort of the structure and getting it down and like the idea, but. Um, I have worked with people who are much better at the actual prose and like the wordsmithing and have like gone in and just tweaked. And so um, I can appreciate really what he's done with that poem. But it's just so interesting that like Dorothy was the one that brought the the meat to the table, right? 
I don't know if there is a line in the poem as lovely as... Listen, I'll read it again for those sure. at the back. Some rested their heads upon these stones as on a pillow for weariness, and the rest tossed and reeled and danced and seemed as if they verily laughed with the wind that blew upon them over the lake. Yeah, that is true. (laughs) Pick a line. I don't know. Like, obviously I'm biased, but I think that's a nice diary entry. I think it's a very nice poem. It just feels a bit like stiff <laughs> i'm not um just, it's very listen, i don't want yeah. anyone to like clap back at me for saying i don't think this poem is good <laughs> it's a lovely poem i just Ooh, sorry wordsworth fans it does feel very like um clinical like he's obviously a wordsmith right mm-hmm. like i get i get it like i think it's like beautifully laid out but i do feel like it's a bit clinical and Dorothy's journal entries have so much like feeling and just natural poetry to them um, that it's just, yeah, yeah, it's I hard think, not to prefer her, I think, for us. Yeah, I think what like natural poetry, I think you're like hitting on it there, right? I do really like um, Beside the Lake Beneath the Trees. I like that. That's nice. <laughs> you like that part? That's nice. I like that part. Yeah. Fucking sorry to swear, beep it out, but I fucking hate jokened. <laughs> I'm so angry that he <laughs> That's replaced your note. the word laughing and made his poem less accessible to me. He's got that continuous as the stars that shine. Like I like that moving from like, you know, one landscape to another. It's a lovely poem, I think. I think it's lovely. I don't I think it lacks passion. Mm. I do. What I think is interesting as well, just in terms of going from the diary entry to the poem is that last stanza where he's like, for oft when on my couch I lie in vacant or in pensive mood, they flash upon that inward eye, which is the bliss of solitude. Um, And just, I think that really gives you a sense of him. And Mm -hmm. so Dorothy is going out there and she's writing. And I know that uh, from what Poppy told us and just from what I've been reading that Dorothy she wasn't like writing as stuff happened sometimes she would write about like a few days at once so she was going she was Mm -hmm. like writing it all down and like you said there's like the little lists and stuff in there whereas I think William is then sitting with the ideas he's like lying on the couch he's like Mm -hmm. thinking and then he's like imagining the daffodils and he's like kind of ruminating on them and then the poem comes from that so his poem Mm -hmm. comes from the memory of the death like do you do you understand what i'm trying to say like his poem is coming from thinking about a memory of the daffodils and how restful that is whereas dorothy's diary entry her journal entry is an observation of the daffodils yeah yeah i think that's interesting that she's the one making the observations and then he's then going and taking those like further. Yeah. But then that and- just makes me wonder about like his process in general. <laughs> Always question a male writer's process. <laughs> <laughs> just that put that on my gravestone. <laughs> so I do feel like I've been saying this every week recently, but how important are these journals? Mm-hmm. Right? 
we've got the sister, lesser known because she's a woman and she's a diarist. And nevertheless, she is like out there recording their walks, recording their conversations and providing inspiration for this insanely famous poet and poem specifically. Mm -hmm. And I know that we are totally biased to women writers on the show, but I can't wait to go back when it's open and actually get to know more about Dorothy and some more about William and some more sure. about their mates and like Maldi Saudi and or Sexy Saudi. <laughs> yeah. We're rebranding. We're rebranding here. Yeah. It's not just Wordsworth Grassman that's had a rebrand. Saudi's also had a rebrand. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> now, I did want to share as well. So in a blog post for European Romanticisms in Association, uh, Jeff Cowton, who you heard at the top of the show, uh, says this about Dorothy's journal entry. So I thought this was really interesting. So he says, similarly, imagine we had only a printed transcript of this page on which Dorothy Wordsworth recounts the events and her feelings on the occasion of her brother's marriage. It would tell us that lines were erased, but only seeing the real thing prompts us to ask who erased them and when and why. This was a private journal, never intended for publication, so the desire to obliterate the words so that they could never be read again is very striking. Ooh. So that was from, uh, that, that I mean, what we read was just like a paragraph on this wider page. But mm. I just thought it was really interesting, um, just the conversation kind of going back to what we were saying about how you display an object. Mm-hmm. And on that blog post, it's kind of talking about how when you transcribe it, some transcriptions will say like, this has been erased or there'll be a note saying like, we think these words were covered up. But mm-hmm. actually when you see the object, you can see the force with which it was done, like how right. much effort's gone into it. You know, like what color is the ink? Like, does it look more recent? Does it look older? Like is the page mm-hmm. torn? Um, yeah, and so I think, like you said, the process is something really cool that they're doing at Wordsworth Grassmere and it's like the journal and not just the not just what's in the journal but the physical object of the journal mm-hmm. and how that becomes a poem that maybe you see as an image on Google search right 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 there's so many elements to it like they even made their their own ink mm-hmm. for example too so it's like thinking about the process that you know, they're just going through to get to the writing. Also, it's like, we're making the ink, we're making the journals, we're, I think they made some of the paper as well. Like, it's an incredible, like, work of art, uh, just to get those words down. Not to say that it was a work of art, but uh, when I was doing my master's, I was, I wrote a lot of poetry when I was doing my master's. And I remember in this one notebook, I had, um, maybe like six variations of the same poem. And I remember in my one-to-one with my lecturer, uh, just like going through it and she said, this is really interesting to see like, because every time I changed it, I I rewrote the entire thing so that the whole, Mm -hmm. you know, and you could see where I was like crossing stuff out. I've got to find it because that was like a really, that was a really good process. Like every time I wrote it out noticing something else and changing it. And I think when they make the museum of me, which page of the journal? Sure. <laughs> which page of that journal are they going to put it on? It's a real problem. I maybe that I'll is, leave some yeah. notes or instructions. I don't know for how to display that. I um I would like to see more of that in lit homes actually mm-hmm. because I think some of the things that we've run into, some of the questions that we've run into from people like when they talk about like oh 
do you think so-and-so edited this? And it's like, yes. Yeah. Like writers have a process. And um, I think showing the process helps people digest the work. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I would like to see more of that in a literary home. I feel like that might be very niche, but I would love to see like, yeah, no, no, I, I would love to see like if you had, you know, the edited copies of, I don't know, Jane Eyre, like just show me all of the things that, you know, Charlotte Bronte crossed out, underlined, did away with, like that would be fascinating. Yeah, show me that. Show me that. (laughs) Guys, let us curate an exhibition in your lit home, please. So if you guys want to learn a little bit more about Dorothy Wordsworth, highly recommend you go out there and read those journals. But I also want to uh, recommend a book called Jane and Dorothy by Marion Viviers, I believe. Um, That one just compares and contrasts Jane Austen and Dorothy Wordsworth. And I think if you like this show, you will probably enjoy this book. Now, before we go, I'd like to say a big, big thank you to everyone who we met at uh, Wordsworth Grasmere and especially Poppy for being such a wonderful guide and, you know, showing us that camel phlegm. Thank you. Yeah, that was that was top. That was excellent. Mm-hmm. One of my best memories of the late district. <laughs> oh, also, because uh, we didn't work it into the episode yet. Thanks for that great Grasmere gingerbread. Oh, my gosh. I think I've mentioned yes. it on every other episode. But yes, thank you for that. Good stuff. Wonderful biscuit. So the cottage was due to reopen on April the 7th this year but obviously due to the current global pandemic you might have heard of it um that couldn't happen and I can only imagine how after all that time and money was spent in reimagining the space and rehanging it and trying to get it ready and like building all the scaffolding so they could mend the roof and take everything out and clean it off just how gutted everyone must be who was involved in that project. And I just know that when it does reopen, you and I cannot wait to get there. We will visit as soon as we can. I really recommend that if you have any interest when the world is safe to travel again, head to the Lake District. You won't be disappointed. It's beautiful. All of the plans for the new museum look beautiful. Mm -hmm. Um, Like go and check out the website, sign up for the newsletter, just... You know, you're not going to want to miss it, I think, while it's still fresh. Get in there while it's fresh and very clean. I can't (laughs) wait to go back. I want to have like a really just, I mean, I want to do like a really cool Dorothy Wordsworth like walking tour. We want want to do that. I. Yeah. (laughs) Just I. And this is an idea that only I have had. (laughs) We want to do a really cool Dorothy Wordsworth walking tour. I'm going to get Lauren up a mountain. If you want to take a little peek at uh, what Wordsworth Grasmere looks like, you should visit them on Twitter and Instagram. On Twitter, their handle is at Wordsworth G-R-A-S. Just G-A. Just grass. Just grass. And over on Instagram, it's at Wordsworth Grasmere. And, uh, you know, if you want to look at our pictures, what was going on up there. You should find us on the internet. And uh, where would you do that, Hannah? You can find us, as always, on Instagram and Twitter, at Bonnets at Dawn. 
You can email us, bonnetsatdawn at gmail.com, or you can join our lively and lovely Facebook group by searching for Bonnets at Dawn. And maybe we'll accept your request to join it, unlike my dad, who will be waiting <laughs> just a minute while I figure out if I want to let him into the group. Sorry, Dad. Happy Father's Day. <laughs> <laughs> Sounds fair. All right. Thanks, guys. Bye. Bye.